episode of the Premium Pete Show has been brought to you by the good folks at Bevel. That's right. Bevel is taking the grooming industry by storm, Miss Lissa. You know why? Because they got the state-of-the-art grooming equipment, the shaver, the razor, everything. I mean, listen, I love, I love what they're doing. They're in Target. And they're also on getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Head on over there. Get yourself a discount. Get you, who, who don't like some discounts? I don't know who doesn't like discounts. And I don't know who doesn't like Bevel. Because 9 out of 10 barbers choose Bevel when it comes to their blades. Because it's the only system clinically proven to prevent bumps, ingrown hairs, and anything that you don't want on your skin after you take the hair off. Exactly. You want to listen. Whether you're a lady. That's right. Whether you're a man. If you a shimmy, you, exactly. You want to be clean. That's right. And that's the, that's not only from the sneakers to the clothes. That's just from the face to, to the shots. <laughs> Maybe even your feet. If you got hairy feet, I know Bevel's going to take care of that. Stay clean. Stay groomed. Go to getbevel.com forward slash Pete. Now let's get to the show. Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want to scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. Miss Lissa knows. It's the Premium Pete Show. It's Ness. Welcome back to another episode, man. I'm so excited to finally get this episode done. Yeah. Well started. You know, I really want to just talk about just lifestyle. I really want to talk about the. Ju- I, I know I'm going to say this wrong, but the, how do you say it? Judicial how do judicial you, system. Yeah, I never no. pronounced that you did word it right. Just, Listen, internet, internet. Kenneth Montgomery, ESQ, wow. is in the building. But more, but more importantly, more importantly than just a lawyer, you know, a professor also, right? Yeah, professor of law, former um, uh, prosecutor. former prosecutor, professor of law at uh, Fordham Law. I'm. A- I actually just got asked to teach i'm going to be now on the staff at brooklyn college teaching the, the undergrad next year that's dope um teaching them what um law yeah law um also uh i'm on the uh what you call the judiciary committee in Kings county see i would never be able to pronounce that shit that's so you know this give city, it a world give it a world uh, judiciary judiciary you got it okay see, see? Pe- the sitting judges and people who want to become judges i, I serve on the committee to interview them and give my Whatever I think the the ability. And You're from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. So how, as a a black man from Brooklyn, how did you get into law? Honestly, my honest. How, better, my, anytime somebody say honestly, honestly, you just know they next. No, because you know a liar, 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 liar. liar. When, I tell, when I tell people, they don't believe it. It was literally, you know, how people grow up want to play ball. Mm-hmm. I grew up. What happened was. Uh, my one of my closest aunts, she had a husband who, who was a, he turned out to be a total dickhead, but he had a lot of information and mm. he exposed me to a lot of information at a really young age. I'm talking about like I was five, six, seven years old. He was introducing to me to uh, John Coltrane, Malcolm. So in third grade, they had given me the I know it sounds crazy. They gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X and I read it and I was just mesmerized by the section where he wanted to be a lawyer and they told him he had to be a carpenter. Right. And that, and it, I actually was angry. I, I had a chip on my shoulder. And when I read it, I, in my young mind, and then growing up where I grew up where things looked pretty bad, something went out, um, things looked pretty bad. I, um, I, I convinced myself that a, an attorney was someone who was aware and, and, and smart because I, you know, 
he was telling me that, you know, the world didn't think people like me could be smart. Right. So that's what it when, was. When you say that, you mean people of color? Yeah. Yeah. Was this a, a white person who was saying No, he was, a, he, was a, he was an atheist, um, black dude, totally Afrocentric, into karate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wild boy, though. Just very, not a nice person. But he, he, he pre- presented me a lot of quality information. And um, I, I took it for what I what I wanted to take it. Probably as. even challenged you. He did. He yeah. did. He did. And, did your uh, mom with him for a long time? My aunt was with him. He ended up moving his girlfriend in. My aunt, the home that my aunt and him owned on Bergen and Kingston, he moved his girlfriend in while he was still married to my aunt. And my little cousin was maybe nine months, and he put his girlfriend above them. Extra West Indian. They West Indian? No. He just was extra super wild. Dad. And um, <laughs> my 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 aunt, who was beautiful, nice, quiet person. Nubian goddess. Beat the crap out of his girl one day. Like, while I'm, you know, I'm like nine, ten years old. So I had to get my little cousin and go call my mom and the cops. And, you know, he then kidnapped my aunt's, his daughter from my aunt, took her away for... <laughs> years wow and uh, my aunt ended up having a nervous breakdown she's beautiful late she's still beautiful to this day she's she's a fighter she's fine but uh that's the guy who introduced me to malcolm x and um when i read that book and then just growing up in brownsville and you know seeing the things that i saw you know some of it made sense and i was like you know what i'm going to be an attorney because you have access to information and you can help your right. your community and you can you can kind of get on your own kind of uh engineering of society. Did your friends like encourage that? <laughs> uh, I was in I went to Martin Luther King High School and I never forget it was me, Mike Rohn, if people who know Gangstar they know who Mike Rohn mm-hmm. is. It was my man Brazil, if you're from East New York and you know plazas, you know who Brazil is. It was Rand, Sis, Nerd, a couple of us. We was in a car. Might have been J. Rule with us, too. I grew up with a, a bunch of these dudes. My cousin is still from Smith & Wesson, but we was all in the truck on the FDR drive. And I was like, yo, I'm going to, I was like, yo, I'm going to Harvard. I'm going to law school. And they was like, somebody was like, everybody except Mike Rohn was like, nigga, you going to Rikers. He's like the rest of it. <laughs> Literally. To this day, I remember that shit clearly. And that was what I try to tell young people that you got to I don't believe in good or bad. I just use energy. And I'm like, you got to use the negative and the good energy to for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I use that like, yeah, I'm gonna prove you motherfuckers wrong. And, I, and, and that's I'm, the second time I'm hearing that somebody did that to you. So, yeah. you, you know, I want I want to go back. I want to go back into let's stay with the lawyer sense. Mm-hmm. For me, somebody growing up in Brooklyn, um, I didn't never really have the idea to be a lawyer, but I always thought it was uh, very hard to pass that bar exam. It's definitely for difficult. people who don't know. Mm-hmm. Like how, pause, how but how hard is that? It's, let me tell you what it. it you know, this is what messes people up because we live in this society where we just go on cliches. A bar examination does not test your intelligence. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect example. I'll tell you what it tests: your ability to retain information. So what happens is the bar, just say it's. 20 say they say you have to study for 26 subjects but only 10 to 13 are going to be on the test but they don't tell you which 10 to 13 
are going to be on the test. That's the bar. So you have to, in a very short period of time, intake a voluminous amount of information and be able to know how to test take and stick and move. Despite, you know, a lot of you may meet people and say, yo, that, yo he's always been smart. I'm, I, I've never looked at life like that because me personally, I feel dumb as shit most days because mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit you don't know. Right. You know, um, it's shit, you know, and the stuff, you know, you should know. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you don't know. But what I was very good at is I knew how to retain information. I had a photographic memory mm-hmm. so I can run through stuff very quickly. So, you know, test taking was fun for me. Like some people had anxiety with taking tests. Like my homie, John Rappaway, uh, a great attorney from uh, the Bronx, who he's out in Staten Island a lot now. A beautiful dude. He had he he has me crying because he was like when he took the bar, he was so nervous. He had to wear depends because mm. he, he was like he sat and pissed on himself because really? he, he didn't get up because he was so nervous. I was excited to take tests. Like, even when I ain't know the test, I would, you know. What's your sign? I'm a cancer. You know, I would, I would, I would take, I would, I, I would study the night before and retain it, recite it, and then I would spit it out. It was very, it was you, very easy for me. You know, one of the reasons why I it's wanted to, paper. one of the reasons why I want to have you up here was because, um, first of all, not only just because you're a Brooklyn Knight, mm-hmm. we know each other Brooklyn for a while. Knight. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, respect oh, you as a family Always been guy. as, a, as a, f- a fan of yours yeah. as well. No, li- li- likewise. Mm-hmm. But, but more importantly, I love your knowledge. And sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, I'm Italian. Obviously, mm-hmm. that means white. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say, I, I see the internet over the years, they're like, this kid thinks he's not white. He says he's Italian. Listen. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, you're very crowded, yeah. pr- proud of your... Italian heritage. Most from what definitely, I can see. most definitely. You know, but I'm also very open minded yeah, to you how are. how you know. Uh, uh, I grew up in, in a time of of a racist era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, where black and white Yusuf Hawkins mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I understand, and I change, and I change my whole mindset of what I seen these people do. And what I mean by that is like you know you grow up in those neighborhoods and you see people, uh, you know the the the. the I feel like a lot of Italians at that time grew up and their families would teach them to not like black people. Yeah. But you know what's ill that we're similar, Pete? I I grew up from 15 to 21. I worked right across the street at 25 Broadway, which was Standard & Poor's Mm. Corporation. I used to sell bonds part time, S&P. I used to sell bonds and yields while I was in height, while all my friends were selling crack. And walking around East New York, but how, with how? cracking their mouth. But how, how did you? How did you? How did you stay out of that shit? Because um, I didn't stay all the way out of it. I, I've been in trouble in my life. I've I've, I've done dumb shit. Um, but my mom and my dad was two hardworking people who migrated from the South, like many of us, and raised me in, in Brooklyn. And my mom worked for S and P, and and she got me a job there. So when I was in high school, you know who I was selling bonds with. Italian kids mm. from Little Italy, mm. Albert Parisi, Vinny Testaroni, um, <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts. Um, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Steve. I don't know what Steve was. I know Steve ended up being a cop. Um, uh, but I grew up. So I'm so I'm living in Brownsville, going to school, uh, you know, Brownsville and Martin Luther King. But I'm working next to Italian kids. Sure. They were a little bit older than me. But you know what? None of them did bullshit. None of them was on some racist shit. There was some asshole Italians, but I wasn't fucking with them. I was so I, my perspective and people may look at my my convictions and my ideologies and think they know me. 
but you don't really know. I, mm. I, I, I know the human spirit. You know, I know ultimately everyone isn't the same, you know, but I know there's a dominant culture, though. Yeah, but when you were growing up, you know, you think about it, and, 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 and to become a lawyer and to become, you know, um, and then to have a lot of shit stacked against you. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, like, I'm sure people, you know, like you said, you may have gone through stuff where they're like, nah, you ain't going to become a lawyer. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, most didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most, and, and, and it's it's not easy. No, know? because you know what the problem was is that, um, thank you. The the problem was, you know, when you look at most lawyers, like I'm going to my 20 year reunion uh, Thursday at Fordham Law School. Mm. Mo- a lot of lawyers have family members who are lawyers. Like they had some concept of what a lawyer should do. My idea of what a lawyer should be was all in my head. Um, my my parent, no, I, no one had gone to college in my family before me and maybe two or three other cousins who were all in the same generation. So I literally created it in my head. Like my existence, my reality, I created it. You grew up with mom and dad? Yes. And and let me ask you, being on the lawyer side mm-hmm. and seeing a lot of just criminal activity or, mm-hmm. or just dealing with people who get in trouble, you ever feel like n- knowing, and if you do know that they didn't grow up with both parents, that that affected them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I would think the majority of the cases that I'm involved with, and you know, I'm on a federal panel. I'm on a federal CJ panel. I'm a small select of a small uh, group of attorneys who were selected to serve the Eastern District and Southern District panel for people who catch federal charges. And when you look at most of these cases, they're all, they're very similar in that regard. Yes, Mm -hmm. they don't have a, there's not a stable outcome. And people can say what they want about a a dad not being in a house, but yo, kids want to follow their, their, the, the footsteps of their father, mm. good or bad, right? Good or bad, and and I, that that has a great effect. And even me, my dad was in the house, but I was in one of those households. And if some people may relate or not, um, my dad was beaten. Mm. He was beaten by society, like beaten. And so he was one of them dads who was there, but might as well you was wishing he was gone because mm. because because life had beaten him up so bad. That he was better. I hated him. I hated my pops. You mean he felt like the chip, the chips were stacked against him? I think he grew up in the deep south. My pops got from Alabama to New York because he was one of maybe ten or eleven siblings. And one day, a white dude on a pickup truck pulled up in Monroeville, Beatrice, Alabama, and was like, "Which one of you niggas know how to pick apples?" And my pops ain't know how to pick apples. He know how to grow, grow watermelon and hogs and do all that shit. But he knew he didn't want to live that life and how tough it was in Alabama. So he jumped on that pickup truck and drove to Albany, New York, got a little bit of paper, picking apple orchards, had some cousins, Ollie and CB, who lived in Harlem, came down to Harlem, got a job, went at Trinity Corporation, which is the old Def Jam building, Mm -hmm. and then moved to, to Brooklyn when he got my mom. But that journey, he got fucked up. You know, I learned later on in life that my dad had a nervous breakdown. And you all, you know... It's probably similar in, in Italian households. You have these cliches, folk tales in the family about what happened and such and such. Right. And my grandmother used to be like, yeah, yeah, his cousin was jealous of him and put some ashes in his drink. Mm. And he got sick. And I was little. I was like, what the fuck they mean? He got sick. What, you know, you drink ashes? To the point where I was willing to experiment. Like, let me put these ashes <laughs> in my drink and drink this happened. shit and see what yeah. happens. But then I later learned at his death that he had a nervous breakdown when he was, at eight, when he was 18. And instead of them taking him to a doctor, um, you know, you know, look, you, they say Haitians, voodoo, southern black people, they call it the root. 
um, Hispanic Santa Maria. Yeah. They took him to the witch doctor. Mm. Um, and uh, I watched my dad. He's a beautiful, he's 6'4", uh, dark skin, uh, like beautiful dude. Beautiful. And anyone who's seen my pops is like, yeah, this is a nice looking guy. Nice guy. But I saw how he had, life had beaten him where he had no ambition. He had no communication skills. And life fucked him up so bad that it cursed and blessed him at the same time by giving him my mom. My mom was the prototype. My mom's might as well be fucking Harriet Tubman. Mm. Like, I never see my mother cry. You know what I'm saying? And that and and just the, the lack of promise and deferred hope and all that shit, it fucked him up. And I and as I and I think he was unable to communicate with a young man like me who was seeing the world in a different space. So we were like this. So, you know, I didn't even know my pops fuck with me until um, he had died. I found my pops dead. Me me and one of my my best friends, who's like my brother, we we, uh, found my pops. He, He died in his sleep and I found him. Um, and we found him and he had, his body had, sw- you know, it was, it was at that stage where you die and the rigor mortis sets in and you're swollen. Um, so I, that's how I found my pop. And, um, it, the, the crazy shit is I found him like that. I knew he was dead. And then after he died, like all these people, cause he worked in the Def Jam building. It's, it's people who, if they went, worked in that building. On 50th street? No, the one on Varick, 160 okay. Varick. Mm-hmm. It's people who probably know my pops. My pops was the freight elevator dude. So I'm growing up. I'm coming home with J.O. Felony. This motherfucker coming in the house with J.O. Felony posters. All the shit <laughs> that Def Jam throw away. The promotions that they're not using. He would, He's an old school country dude. He was collecting all this shit. Mm. So I had all that shit in the house. But when he died, the old, like the, the UPS drivers, the FedEx drivers, all the people on his route, they would hit me. Like, after he died, it was like, yo, your dad had, you know, all these, he used to talk about you all the time. He would save the news articles. But he was never able to communicate that with me. And I didn't, I shouldn't say I didn't, when I was younger, I hated him. As I got older, I just felt like, damn, I'm going to take care of him. But yo, what the fuck? You have, uh, you have three kids, right? Yeah, I have you three have kids. Two boys? Two boys and, and a girl. Let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we strive to be different as parents. Yeah. Have you been able to communicate with your kids so much, keeping that in mind, what your pops are like? Have you been able to like be the better man? Damn, and- that's an ill question, Pete. Um, I, uh, I grew up, because my, I, I recognize early, I couldn't do anything about me and my dad's relationship, but I recognized the the reason why he was the way he was was beyond him. So I had a dedication and a commitment to be different with my children. So I've always communicated with them. That don't mean the shit going to work out like you want to, though. My oldest taught me shit that my my old my oldest made me even more more on point than I ever was because he's a naturally defiant, thoughtful person. And he wasn't wit. And despite what I was bringing to the table, I learned a certain way from my mom and my pop. My my kid wasn't responding to that shit. So I had to find another way. Mm. And um, I learned as a parent, you think you own, you know, society fucks you up. You think you own shit. You don't really own nothing but yourself. Mm. You don't own your kids. They just pass through you. And they're their own fucking person. Right. Like you own it. <laughs> like, the way you put that, you know, it's so funny too because I can relate to that too because I had a set of ways I was trying to raise my daughter, and I think I ran into a brick wall. Yeah, 
and I had to change my style. Yes. Um, you know, even even to the sense of, uh, you know, I used to be um, just learning to go with stuff more yeah. instead of being yes. so... Yes, uh, so like, look, this is what I do. No, you don't do that. Nah, like, yeah. yo, you've... You right. fuck you fuck yourself up. Compromise a little bit. Compromise, and mm. you fuck your kid up. Yeah. And and I and once I realized that I, that shit wasn't working, I pulled back, and um, that's what I think is the beauty in being a parent, in that you get to live again, but you have to be careful because you're not you're you're your own person still. And you know what happens with kids too. You know, it make you realize that your parents, they're not your parents, they're people. Right. You know, with 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 uh with flaws, with great attributes, they're just people. They're more than just your parent. And your kid is that as well. So it's a it's a it's an opportunity to be human. Yeah. And um I think they've made me a better human, I would hope. And that, and that, and that's special. You know, um you know, having said that being that you probably gave them a better life than your parents gave you, meaning yeah. financially. Financially, yeah. Do you do you have to talk to them and tell them that? Because you know, keep in mind, this world we live in. Uh huh. Okay, and I'm not saying this from you know I don't want you know, I'm not saying this from I'm not black, mm-hmm. but just because you make money, it yeah. ain't changing the it way these fucking people think. Think yes. Pete, so have it. you been able to tell them like, look, I may have been able to get you some of these nice things, but don't get fucking. Don't you know? Don't get it twisted. Yeah, absolutely. I've told my old. I have my oldest will be fourteen in September. My daughter just turned ten last week, and my youngest he'll be eight in in October. And what's what I will say, and I'm very fortunate of, um, is that I have a community. Mm. Like if you ever see me out and about, you always see me with a couple of brolic looking dudes. They probably look like goons. They not. They mm. good. They good dudes. But we all been together for a very long time. And my kids have an opportunity and they have people who they call uncles. There's a few women in the community who they call aunties. And my mom comes to my office every day. And, you know, um, my wife works for Essence Magazine, um, does the directive events there or whatever. So they they have this community and they, they are learning from it. And they're seeing the narrative that's out there. Now, whether or not they they really, truly appreciate it, time will tell. Time always tells. But I definitely reiterate the narrative. I show them certain things. I I show them movies uh, with John Henry Clark. I show them movies uh, or speeches with Dr. Ben. I show them the Malcolms to make it plain. I show them the Nina Simones. I I introduce them to history Mm. and let them make their own decision because you know what happens they go to school i never forget my my oldest when he was in third grade he goes to this very you know it's like the saint anne's of of charter schools or whatever um uh, community roots charter school and i have issues with a lot of things with the formal education but i didn't want to be that parent to take my kid out of here and put him there and take him out of here i wanted him to see it what it was and I remember in third grade, he was he came home and he was like, yo, um, dad, you know, that's the black table. That's the white table. Mm. This is in third grade. So he was he was getting it and he, he's getting it. And, and all of them are getting it. And, and it's what they do with it. You know, you know, besides being a lawyer, and we, we haven't even fully even got to that shit yet. But you, you, like again, you just know so much about history, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just history in the sense of just. Um, you know, where I told you sometimes uh, just from your tweets and, and just mm-hmm. from knowing you, you put me on this shit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, <laughs> do you think that racism is still being taught in the home? Yeah. Do you think that's where it starts from? I like, think it, I yeah. think it starts. Yeah, I think it starts in the home, and I think it's corroborated by society. Mm. And I think it's it's all out of fear and comfort for certain people as well. And um, I think it's 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 the it's the biggest stain on humanity, in my opinion, because when you really study it, like there was no white whiteness is a concept mm. that, that it's, it was it's a, it's a it's a built construct. Like when you go and you study what was going on in in um in Europe. You know, it wasn't like white people all got together and said, we love each other. No, they weren't fucking with each other um, at all. You know, they were creating these these differences amongst themselves. And when you really study it, it's what's 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 intriguing about racism to me and what's outrageous at the same time is such a fucking cannibalistic, primitive concept like we both can do the same shit, right? But I'm better than you because of this. You, you know what's sad too, and it's 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 even more sad. Like I look at things like in Pennsylvania. I've been mm. moving around Pennsylvania a lot more, and uh, you get a place like Villanova, yeah. right? Rich. I mean, mm-hmm. there's houses there. Listen, I've seen houses there, fifteen, twenty million dollars, right? right. Mm-hmm. I remember stopping in the store. I don't know what it was. Maybe the gas station. Why? Why? I'm not sure. I go inside. Everybody, the people look different from the Jersey Wawa mm-hmm, that I'm in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The point I'm making is, I started to think, I was like, I wonder the last time this family who owns this $20 million home seen a black person. Other than the nanny and, and some mm-hmm. subservient status? Probably not a lot. That has to be, you know, like a lot of the fear of, 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 of these kids that... Like, I think it's a misconception. Like, even like, when I speak about Italian, mm-hmm. you know, like, not all, but there's some... That are just listening to what their grandfather said, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, not taking and 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 not to move back and and forth, but you know, we look at it today. There's so much obviously work to be done, but I feel like from what I'm seeing, the thing that makes me proud is that social media has a voice more like than ever. No, that's the beauty of it, yeah, because it can educate the shit out of you. Or it can make you dumb as a motherfucker, too. True. But you the reason saying? why I say that for is because, say something like the Pepsi commercial. Or oh, say shit. something like the, uh, what's that thing called? The Shea, uh, they just yeah, took it out. The Shea lotion? Yeah. Right? They, they, right? The racial. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has the same color. They were talking about hair product. They usually, you know, a, a lot of black women will use it. Now they're putting one one black woman and ten white women <laughs> talking about whatever. The point I'm trying to make is, Social media got Pepsi to take that shit down. It did. Social media got the Shea thing to get taken it down. It did. Back in the day, especially even when I was growing up, probably way before him, but I remember a little bit when I was growing up, there would be a point where just because somebody complained about something being racist, who gave a who fuck? Who gave a fuck? Right. Yeah. Because now, now, you know, because we live in a global economy now, mm. and, you know, they're slowly trying to give their version of quantifying the internet because for a long time no one can quantify this shit they didn't know what it meant now the perception of it and you know with other things going on now there's some things going where you can kind of quantify certain things so now they're trying to quantify it um and i think that's a result of that and it's a part of this culture 
Um, I don't I don't know if it's going to remain like that, though, because I think what that's going to do is that's going to get certain people to say, you know what? This is my pocket right here. This is my pocket right here. And I can live with the negativity because I've quantified the numbers that I can live with. Mm. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes forward, because a lot of those changes are um, they're, they're, they're really superficial. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, for me, yeah, Pepsi, you 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 put out this bullshit ad, but yo, you you fucking selling soda where motherfuckers is getting diabetes sure. left and right. right. Sure. <laughs> like, and and, you, and fucking getting fat stomachs. Zealous, man. Yeah, so Every what, time I drink soda, man, yo, I feel like I'm getting a bear up. belly. Yeah, no. <laughs> but but I, but I love it so much. <laughs> it's, that's the problem. Shit, shit is sad. So it's that. it's wild. So it's like, yo, where we really going with this shit? So it's like, I I ultimately I love. Looking, I, I, I feel like I'm a, a, a fake behavioral scientist kind of guy because mm-hmm. I got to pick juries for a living. Like, I got to look at somebody in a split second and really give my advice to a client whether or not I think they can help their cause. So I, I study this, this people and it's just weird watching social media because you see how easily led people are in the mm-hmm. same regard. And you also see in the same light how people are thirsty for information, but there's not a lot of variety out there. And ultimately what's fucking with people with social media is like, I feel like above all that shit, it's like a neon sign that says cool factor. Mm. And people are worried about the wrong thing when yeah. they're worried about cool factor. What about somebody like Charlemagne having a book called black privilege? You know, <laughs> right? No, no, think about it. And this shit has become so popular. How, and, 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 and you know, the line saying opportunity, opportunity comes to those who create it. How good do you think that is for, you know, being on Front Street like that? Right. You know, it's like put because keep in mind, I'm sure there's some white people out there like, what the fuck is black privilege? Yeah. What is I'll, I'll be honest. What what the fuck is that? Like, I don't know. His, I don't follow him or his stuff. Like, I, I, I guess I guess the whole thing is that he feels like it's a privilege of, to be black instead of like making excuses and saying, oh, I can't do this because I'm black. Mm-hmm. You should empower yourself and know that there is a power in that like mm-hmm. in that movie get out mm-hmm. how everyone actually wanted to be that black man mm-hmm. and, like mm-hmm. there is a, pr- except, a privilege except, in, yeah, yeah. yeah like take your snatch your what you want and don't don't wait for it or don't say you can't do it because of well, your race i haven't read the book and i haven't followed it <laughs> however if his book the narrative in his book is to say yo don't feel you need to be validated by anyone and build your own community, then I, I can, I fuck with that. Right. Um, but you got to be also careful in a sense of, yo, um, if that means you got to ignore all the bullshit that systemically is in place uh, for you to get ahead, I don't know about that. And I don't know about... You know, if you just work hard and you just get this shit together, you'll be okay. That shit ain't true. Because people, people, because because the world we live in is yeah, so fucked that shit, the fuck that, up. Listen, listen. You had a generation of black people, Pete, who came from the deep south, who they survived the terror, and all they could come up with is say, "Yo, if baby, grandchild, just get your education, you'll be okay. You just get education, you get a good job now." the fuck out of here you know how many black smart hispanic whatever people who are brilliant they got that piece of paper not that you need a piece you know because we live in an economy where people actually 
you got white people questioning whether a college education is necessary and yeah. shit because, you know, it's, it's a lot of other things going on. But right. y- you can't, it's not, it's not that easy to just say, oh, okay, uh, I want this, I got that, and I, I can get it. Because, you know what, we, we, we don't, yo, a lot of this shit is luck. Yeah. This I don't a, believe in luck. You don't? No. But why do you say a lot of things are luck? Because I think I know a bunch of people who, 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 or some people who didn't really have any plan or idea. Isn't that a blessing? Well, listen, now we get into religion. Um, <laughs> I don't know. For some people, well, yeah, what, you, what, you, what if you, you was don't... raised by the atheist? Yeah, no, I was not raised by the He was, he was <laughs> you an got, uncle. Now you know. Now you not with it. Listen, now I, I mean, look, you, whatever rocks your boat, man, whatever floats your boat, they say. I, I'm just saying. I don't think you you can you can be the best in the world. Listen, here for example, and I guarantee you got at least one listener who can agree to this. You can have someone who's brilliant with coding, mm-hmm. absolute brilliant mind. They have a skill set. They went to school to learn this shit. They come out, and NASA, who needs brilliant minds, they're not going to go get them. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go on freelancer or one of those other sites, and say, yo, that shit that that real smart guy paid all that money to get education for, and who's brilliant, who's going to charge me $100 an hour to do this shit? Yo, hey, anybody willing to do this shit for $5? Do you think in this world you're not going to get a shitload of people who are up to task who can get that shit done for $5? India, Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe... Wherever. Take it with pride. Yeah, they're going to take that shit. So that guy who is brilliant, who was told he was smart, who prepped and is ready, that motherfucker just got got lost his job to a dude who's willing to do this shit for $5. I don't feel like that guy really wanted to even do coding anyway. Which one? I f- the one that, that didn't get the job because of the, the Indian for $5. I feel like a lot of people don't live in their greatness. Like, like school conditions you to be a worker. Yeah, you like, do. So right. you don't really tap into right. what it is that, you know? I agree. So when you lose that job to that Indian, it's because that wasn't your blessing yeah. and you're missing your mark. Well, but, 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 and, and, Ken, you could respond to this, but but he does make a point because there are a lot of people willing to um, cut your legs out in this world that we live. Like, for instance, like there may be licensed carpenters that do a job for 200 bucks, but there may be, uh, you know, maybe some Mexican guys or some other type of people that may not be licensed. But, hey, we'll do it for 50 just to get your business. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. Ultimately, what happens is that guy was licensed and did everything supposedly the right way uh, goes out of business. Yeah. And and my thing is, listen, I agree. If his book is about building communities, then I'm all with it. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not into this cliche shit and all that because I think our lives and society is much more layered than we give Mm -hmm. it credit for. And we don't we don't communicate through the through the layers and the complexities of it all. You know, and unfortunately, everybody's not going to make it either. And then some who make it are some dastardly motherfuckers. Right. And mm. then you're going to have some brilliant people who make it as well. But, you know, it's 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 an interesting journey, man. You know, you speak about um, Martin mm-hmm. and Malcolm. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, do you see anyone that is a leader like that? Anyone? Um, I know some strong, brilliant people. I think 
you know what's interesting about Martin and Malcolm, and it wasn't just them. It was a, it was a whole. You know, you had um, Hubert Harrison. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a bunch of people. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have the media when these people were risking their lives and as courageous as they were. Um, today, unfortunately, everyone wants validation, and everybody's concerned about their brand. And everybody's concerned about who they're going to offend, especially people of color. You know, you could be a Giuliani. You could be a Trump and say the most outlandish, ridiculous shit. You could be Alex Jones and Sean Hannity and all these guys. There's a narrative for those guys. Um, they got the numbers. But, you know, for for people of color, particularly black men, who's our models? You know, like, and I'm not ragging on the ball players. I'm not ragging on the entertainers. And then when I say entertainer, I include rappers everybody rock rock stars yeah whatever yeah um you know everybody want to be famous i was talking to a very dear friend of mine last night um me and ado were having a great conversation um ado was from brooklyn um real solid dude um he we were talking and it's it's crazy how everybody want to be famous they don't want to have a fulfilling life. Sure. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to take care of their kids or, yo, I do this shit very well. I take care of the elders. I do this. They just want, they want to pop off. Yeah. <laughs> like, so when you have people who are supposedly PhDs, when you got to, you get to do like Michael Eric, what is it? Michael, Michael Eric e. Dyson. Dyson, who rapping Nas lyrics. You know, that shit ain't because he's trying to educate. That shit is because, yo, he's, he, he caught that light. You know, I like this shit. Right. So it's like, damn, you know, what are we really doing here? So when you walk, you watch these talking heads on television, um, Stephen Smith's and uh, whoever, Van Jones, take your pick. You know, these guys, and at least in my opinion, you get the sense that they are very focused on their perception. And... That can be dangerous when you're talking about leadership because just because you have popularity doesn't make you a leader. Mm-hmm. Just because you have money doesn't make you a leader. Just because you look good on a camera don't make you a leader. Yo, leadership requires rolling up your sleeves and doing the shit that nobody gives a fuck about and doing the shit that there's, there will be no camera around. You're doing the shit for the will of it. And, you know, I don't think it's impossible. I just think that we have been... Um, rock to sleep and we're complacent. And I think, I think honestly, there's some young people out here who they're looking at all this shit and yo, they're going to do some shit. We just ain't see them yet. Do you think that, uh, I mean, I don't think we will, but do you think our kids or our kids' kids could live in a world where it would be more balanced and not as racist as it still is? I don't know, Pete. I honestly think, um, what we've allowed, and I say we, I'm talking about human society, for what we've allowed to be the standard of excellence and the people who control, we've put ourselves in a very difficult position where like this shit and world and what we think we've created, this shit could fall apart in any moment. I'm talking about from environment. I'm talking about from a whole bunch of different levels. Like, you know, the system that we've created as a society, everybody played their different part is very dangerous and um i'm not sure we live in an anti listen i'm not a intellectual snob but we live in a (laughs) society where being informed and being smart is kind of corny 
Mm. And when you live in that kind of society, you can get the klepto guys, the kleptocracy, the dudes like Trump and the Bannons and the uh, Jared Kishners. They could come on and the Omarosas, whatever the fuck her <laughs> name is, Ben Carson. You could get all these people and you got a shit show. And that shit show is for these people to make money. Right. And I think what's happening from a societal level, you got you got to do like Trump. Think about it. This motherfucker is talking about, yo, coal. We're going to bring back coal. Who the fuck is using coal? <laughs> like seriously, like who what what person is doing some shit is like, yo, man, we yo, let's get that, yo, you gotta you gotta line on some yeah, coal. Yeah, I need a I need a half a pound of coal. Yo, that shit is some old school one way of thinking, and those dudes are geeked and they're geeked because they're looking at their kids and their grandkids and their kids are doing some shit that they never heard of, and uh, the Zuckerbergs and those guys. And their money, the Zuckerbergs and those guys, their money, you know, they, there is no nationalism for them. Their mm. nationalism is them, their money, their money. Facebook takes Zuckerberg any fucking place he want. He could be sovereign here, sovereign there, sovereign there. And them old dudes like Trump, they money can't move like that. Your real estate development money can't move like that. Even though your daddy gave you that, it can't move like that. So now they have this earth and they're trying to exploit it in the way that they used to exploit it. And they can't. So it's like, I think you have that. There's so many different wars going on amongst us in society. So you have that. And then you have the small people could say whatever they want. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Um, governments have always been used to fuck the little guy. Us. Mm. Socialism was used in that way. Communism was used in that way. Capitalism is used in that way. Capitalism is a sexy-ass person you see in a club who you like, damn, I want that. And you're getting closer and closer, and motherfuckers turn that light on, and you're like, oh, shit. This shit ain't as sexy as I thought it was. Get off of me. Yeah. And it's not working out the way they want. So it's like, you know, we, we're caught up. You know, we're in, humans are in a very interesting period, environment, governmental-wise, and America has always been in some hypocrisy shit, but America's in a special place right now with what they've chosen as a society to lead them. Mm -hmm. Like never before. And I'll go on to say Trump is very similar to the um he's like a clown to the to the dude in North Korea. Like those dudes, yeah. him and that dude are in the same fucking class. Like if we was all in the school, we'd walk by the special ed class and them two motherfuckers <laughs> would be sitting same in the class. same fucking class. You know, you know, you know, you know it's, uh, recently Talib Kweli was uh, on TMZ and uh, they uh, spoke to him and he was saying how that many people, uh, particularly white people, uh, were probably happy that Trump became president because they, they, I, I think like, they feel like they got like they're back to normal, so to speak. <laughs> that, I don't know if you heard about that. I heard it. I heard that, about that. that. that like, and keep in mind, because people were hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I know of, mm -hmm. but I believe this. And mm -hmm. People were hurt that we had a black president. Yeah, that they felt like, oh, it's taking away from us. It's or absolutely, something. and you and, and and I I can agree, and I don't think you you could go before uh, Talib in the sense that whenever you had some perceived um, progression 
by black people in America, it always was a white lash. You can go back to the Reconstruction period. And that and, and, and the reason for that, because what happened during Reconstruction? After Reconstruction, you had all them fucking lynchings and Red Summers mm. and all this gym, you know, all this shit started happening. And the reason why is that people don't want to deal with reality here. People think if we just start talking about this race shit, oh, people get their feelings. So, yo, let's talk about it. I'm a black dude who have my history is through slavery. I have I can trace that shit. I could talk about you did it. Did the DNA thing with the? I did the DNA. I did all that shit. Yo, we forget what is America. America was a white nationalistic experiment based on a false construct of whiteness. But all the white guys were able to get together because they had a common enemy. Yo, where did you learn us. this shit? Reading, living. What books are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading. Um, damn, I'm reading. Um. I'm reading uh, mass, the, the War on Poverty and the War on Crime. Mm-hmm. I'm reading um, Wellman's The Art of Cross-Examination. I'm reading, um, there's a book on race and politics. Uh, it's by a white author. I forget his name. It's a black book. And on the cover of the book is Muhammad Ali, Floyd Patterson, Joe Frazier, all saying we voting for the man. And the person they talking about is Reagan. Mm. so I'm reading all that shit at this for me I'm kind of schizophrenic with the reading because I find it hard you want to know what's going on around the same time you're reading to push it in context but I, I'm, I'm reading those those books right now um, uh, and uh, what else am I I'm reading something else Black Marxism mm-hmm. I'm almost finished I'm like I got I like got like 20 books in the rotation one might got five pages left I just can't get through it for whatever reason and some of it I'm just stuck in the fucking yeah, it's always good to know especially people who you know taking so much information to know what books they're reading just, mm-hmm. just just to get an insight you know I always feel like you know this day and age like especially podcasts after all these years are, are, are sometimes a mentor for people yo podcasts yeah. are incredible to me yeah. that's yeah. why I love what you guys are doing um, and, the, and the other cats who we all know and, and cool with are doing because it to me an old timer one of my close friends who told me he's like yo it's an opportunity to educate mm-hmm. in a way where people don't feel like they're getting beat in the head or told what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Or forced to listen to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, we spent the, we're going to take a break. Like, it's crazy. We didn't even go into the lawyer oh, shit yeah, yet. You, you know, so listen, let, let's take a break. Internet, uh, you know, check, check, make sure you don't got a warrant. Okay. If you do, okay. <laughs> if you do, Ken Montgomery can take care of you. You know, he can take care of you. Don't go nowhere. Internet, listen this. to the Premium Pete Show with Miss Listen Knows. We'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, this your boy Cuban Link, El Marielito Cubanito representando, nigga. You checking out the hottest show in the motherfucking world, Premium Pete, featuring Miss Listen Knows. Let's get it. Internet, you already know this episode is brought to you by the good folks at Bevel. We appreciate them, and we know you appreciate them, too. And I'm, I'm almost positive this ain't the first time you're hearing their ad, because you know why? They're putting out official product. And if you have a beard, or you have a goatee, a mustache, or even a lady looking to shave her on the arms, or... A, or if your box out here woo! looking like Heathcliff. Head over to GetBevel.com forward slash Pete. Find out what discounts they got for you. Trust me, they got you covered. Women, men, anybody. Tell a friend to tell a friend. GetBevel.com forward slash Pete. Now let's get back to the show. Ow. Cheer. Internet's and we're back sitting here with Kenneth Montgomery. Listen, really just learning a lot about just just the culture. And and not fucking hip hop. I'm talking about just life 
life in general. And but I wanted to definitely get into more of like you know just the lawyer stuff that you've been doing and mm-hmm. and. and, and you know, um, you rep, man. You, you know, I didn't realize until doing some research how many people you represented. I represented a lot of people. A Kai girly, did yeah. you? Yeah. Well, um, their family came to me early okay. when that happened, and I advised them. And there was um, there there was issues that you know present itself um, concerning the case. Who had certain rights? So, but I and early on, I was on that case. Kamadi Gray. I still represent that case. Is going to trial soon. Um, I represented uh, Russian mob and yeah. Well, what, what's mob. that about? When I say we're just Russian. It's like a a, a plain uh, blanket. It's not yeah, a plain. It's there. not a plain black. Um, you know what? I represented a beautiful dude, Vitaly Ivanitsky. Man, that's the one case. You know, I haven't. I'll be very honest, and I'm not. I'm very humble about this trial shit because you you try enough cases, you'll lose. I don't remember most of the wins, and if you look at, I've won a lot of. I've been fortunate to win a lot of trials, a lot of serious trials. But losing um, Vitaly Ivanisky case, I think I probably think about that shit once a week. It was in front of Marissa Tomei's uncle, Albert Tomei. Mm. Albert Tomei's a judge. He was wow, a really? judge. He resigned. Her uncle was a judge. Same name. My mother same. was my teacher. For real? Yeah, her mother. Um, I don't remember her name, but Miss Tomei. We yeah, they're Brooklyn, they're Brooklyn people. Yeah, I went to Cavalero in, in, in junior high school. Yeah. 281. Her mother was my teacher. Wow. Her father, her uncle was Albert Tomei, mm-hmm. and I tried a case with the great David Breitbart. Anyone who knows about great New York trial attorneys, they should know who David Breitbart is. When you watch Donnie, Bas- Donnie Brasco... He represented Nick Messino before he mm-hmm. flipped. He, yeah. Donnie Bright, like, he was, uh, Breitbart was the man. And um, Nicky Barnes, all those yep. dudes. Me you know, you know, you mentioned Nick Messino, and mm-hmm. you talk about the mafia, man. Mm-hmm. You mentioned somebody like Nick Messino. Honestly, I don't think the last time you seen an underboss besides Sammy the Bull, you know, that guy was so he big was, in the mafia. For him to flip, flip I'll was, be honest with you, that has hurt. It fucked a lot of people yeah. up. Yeah. It fucked a lot of people up. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, condoning... Uh, bad no. mafia. I'm just saying. No, it fucked a lot of people up. I know. Yeah. I know those. I, I'm. I'm friends with Bruce Cutler. I'm friends with Eddie Hayes. I'm friends with David Breitbart. Um, those guys. Anthony Rico is is one of my closest friends. Is, is a brother to me. Um, the Ed Wilfords. So I know. The, I know. I'm in that in that world. That that messed a lot of people up. You know. You, you know. You also uh, represented those five kids in Brooklyn that oh, were charged man. for the gang Brownsville, rape, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, thank one God. One of them. I represented okay, one, one of them. Okay, one of them. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. What happened with that situation? Well, you know how you get certain cases and you're just like, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, something wasn't right. Um, I, I was given information on a case um, video. And when I looked at the video and I looked at the narrative that the government was coming with, it didn't make sense to me. Mm. So um, when it didn't make sense to me, um, Ken Thompson... Um, Rest in peace. Rest in peace was a very good friend of mine who I actually worked with him um, when he was running uh, with, uh, to beat Charles Hines. Me and Ken had a great relationship, and Ken's second in command, Eric Gonzalez, who is one of my closest friends, I called him up and I said, Joey, look, you know, I don't call y'all up. Just something's not right. Something isn't right. Y'all need to look at this. And I And look, I'll send y'all. I called. Miss Gregory, who is, um, people don't know, Dick Gregory's daughter is the head of sex crimes in the Brooklyn DA's office. Really? Miss Gregory. Her name is Miss, M-I-S-S. Oh, that's hot. Yeah, Dick is Dick Gregory is her father, so yeah, it makes sense. Um, 
But I called them up and I said, Joe, look, y'all need to see this. And I talked to them and they said, all right, Ken, we're going to get back to you. And when they got back to me, they did the right thing. And, and they and because I think they realized they didn't have a case. You know, when we're seeing a lot of cases where girls are, you know, and not to take away from any girl who's ever been, you know, mm-hmm. raped or, or, or gang raped. And, 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 you know, there's been a lot of incidents like mm-hmm. that. And people like that, that's foul shit. It's super foul. But, we're, you know, um, we've been seeing a lot of girls particularly um, tell lies. Yeah. And, and, and kids get in trouble for this shit. Um, really almost ruin their life. And keep in mind, too, a lot of these things don't really get expunged fully. No, so when you a go, stigma to When you go that. look for a job, you know, you got this fucking rape case yeah. on you that you really didn't even do. And you got the internet. Like, yeah. you can't really, you know, I have, I can't tell you how many clients call me or people who want to just inquire and say, yo, when my, when my name, when you punch in my name on Google, this shit comes up. How can I? Not, how can I get it out? And I'm like, well, listen, you can, or you maybe can, you can may hire someone who does the digital thing. Well, they'll put it on page twenty as a page, as opposed to page one. But it's really nothing that you can do to get it out of the world. And and that's unfortunate about it. And you know, there's certain crimes that have have a stigma to them, and sex crimes is one of them. Now, you don't think that people who like, if, 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 if man or woman, but what I'm saying, if you're if you're making up a lie that is gonna like ruin someone's, ruin someone's life. life, you don't think that you should be well, you should be liable for, for a charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, it, filing a, a false, uh, you know, making a false claim, and uh, you know all those things, it, you should. But you know, unfortunately, what happens with that is there's a public policy angle to that because now. You know, there's an argument to be made that uh, you're going to deter people from coming forward with that. Mm-hmm. And in the sex crimes and domestic violence as well, there's a, there's a thinking that sometimes you don't get the, the full truth because someone is traumatized to a certain degree. So there's a lot of social work to those types of cases and trying to get to the bottom of it. Even little, not just that, even little kids. You have crimes where kids are five, six years old. You know, I've had crimes when I was a prosecutor. I had a compulsive 10-year-old who was a liar. He was he was diagnosed a compulsive liar. Damn. And he 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 claimed that his brother who had just came home from jail um anally raped him. And to really mess you up, he had HIV. Mm. So, but he was diagnosed a compulsive liar. And we really, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it sometimes is very difficult because you don't have the objective evidence. And when I say objective, scientific, video, you don't have something independent other than their word. Right. So it, it can be very difficult sometimes. You know, the the lawyer system from my times of getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I feel like the Italians, they try to preach to you, get your Jewish lawyer, get your Jewish lawyer. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't that's know. That's a myth. That's yeah, it's a fucking myth. Listen. But, that's that's good what you can say. <laughs> no, no, it's I'm just saying this is what they say. But but <laughs> the point I'm making is what I've seen is like from lawyers, mm-hmm. I've seen like like that I've dealt with over the years, people be like, um you know, you get a lawyer and they're like, I know the judge. We had we had lunch the other day. That's, that's a motherfucker trying to get in your pocket yeah. and telling you bullshit. Yeah. And if your head ain't right, you'll fall for that. Because you, yeah. you No no, say? do you feel that that that, that the lawyer judge um, stigma or relationship or it, it matters. It, yeah, does it matter? All right, let me tell you, Pete. I just I'm I'm on the judiciary committee. Mm-hmm. I interview judges. 
There's judges who know I interview them and know I interview judges. There's DAs who know I know their boss. At the end of the day, no one's going to fuck up their job because you want to get out of jail. So mm. when motherfuckers come with, yo, man, yo, son, yo, I got 10 stacks, man. Can, can't you work something? Yo, son, yo, yo. That's all bullshit movie shit. No, it doesn't happen now. I do, based on my trial work and years of practicing, have some credibility with certain judges. And I, I may be able to have a nice rapport with them. Just the other day, I was in federal court and there's a judge who likes me a lot, knows my work. Ken, how are you doing? This is after the case. How are you doing? My client's family in the audience. Ken, how are you doing? How's your oldest? Yo, how's he doing? Yo, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, guys. Ken, one day, da, 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 talking. Now, look, my client and his family may be looking like, wow, the judge likes my guy. That don't mean she's going to do shit for you mm. when you charge on certain such and such on the guidelines. So, you know, I say no. I think anyone who thinks that matters is usually getting taken for a ride. Um, and, and it's been my experience that shit like that is dangerous. I mean, as a lawyer, too, you know, it's like you want to beat the case, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every time. Every time. Every time. But, <laughs> every time. But keep in mind, too, you ever, you, you ever look at like... Um, you know, because I I was very honest with my lawyers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you should like, be. Yeah, and I felt like that was the, the most important thing to be because you know I wanted to try to uh, you know get off, but I yeah. also you know want to give him the full. You know what I mean? You can't no, lie listen, to your you, lawyer. You don't know what to do you, as a lawyer. I'm gonna tell you when you lie to your lawyer, you don't know what to. You, your strategy gets fucked up. Mm-hmm. So when you have a client who's honest with you, you know where the pitfalls. Are. And here's here's the perfect. I give you the perfect anecdote in state court. The lawyers who usually prevail are the lawyers who know the most information about the narrative. Mm. When you don't know about the narrative, you don't know where the fucking pitfalls at. You don't know where the hatchet is coming at. So that's why you should have an honest conversation with your lawyer. The lawyers who are like, yo, fuck that. I don't want to know the bad. I don't know. Yo, they're they're bad lawyers Mm. and clients who like, you know, I had clients who, you know, was, was the thing with me is the time that I think we grew up and the things that I've observed and what I've been through. I think I'm able to cut to the chase with people because I don't wait. I don't like to waste people time sure. and I don't like the bullshit. So I think it gets a rapport going where your client as a lawyer, your job should be to educate your client as to what the environment is and what the law is and how you perceive the facts and what's likely to happen. You can't do that amongst a bunch of fucking lies. Yeah. It's a false narrative. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. It makes sense, you know. Yeah. Now, what about Bobby Schmurder? Didn't you, uh, you, you were his lawyer for a I was bit. his lawyer for a little bit. Um, I thought, you know, to me, Bobby's situation was very typical and it was very sad in a, in a, in a lot of regards because he was a child, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't mean child like a baby, but he was a kid. Yeah, he didn't have much life perspective. And he got swept up into celebrity really damn fast. Mm-hmm. And the special prosecutor's office came really damn fast. And he didn't get an opportunity. You have to have an opportunity to reflect in whatever it is you do. You guys deal with, this is all intellect, which y'all do. Mm-hmm. If y'all just keep doing 20 shows in a row and y'all don't sit back for an hour and say, yo, hold on, what are we doing? Let's look at this. 
you're probably going to do some things that you didn't want to do down the line. It's the same thing for a young kid in his position. He didn't have the opportunity to reflect because the train was going too fast. Mm. And, and um, you know, in hindsight, whether he'll admit it or not, I'm sure he'll say, you know, I would have made certain or different decisions, but I can't be mad at that young man. I, I really hope that kid gets out and he has a shot. Him and, him and Rowdy. Rowdy and not just them. They had Cody's. But people don't hear People don't them. hear about yeah. them. You don't talk about them because they ain't, they ain't dancing. They ain't on the videos. Right. <laughs> but they, they have lives, too. And I, I hope that this period of time they have some perspective, you know. Throughout your time, too, um, you know, and you tell me, but uh, you definitely were involved in people who sued uh, a oh, lot of labels like yo, Bad, you, Boy. Bad Boy. I've sued, I sued. I sued Bad Boy a long really? time ago. Yeah, for what? I, I represented Tyson Beckford for um, trademark copyright infringement. I sued uh, Bad Boy, um, representing them. Um, it was an endorsement deal that Tyson had did in which um, Bad Boy was still using his image, and, and uh, there was some dispute as to to compensation. Um, I actually liked Tyson Beckford. I thought he was a solid dude. Um, did, did you win that one? I can't talk about it, but okay. my client was happy, and, okay. and I thought it was. I thought it worked out well, in my opinion. What about Rockefeller? I sued them. Uh, we ended up suing uh, for state property because an author of a book, um, somehow it got in the hands of them and it became state property, but it was somebody from Philly who actually wrote the book. That's that, crazy. That worked out. Um, I sued uh, Sanford Rubenstein on behalf of the young lady who uh, worked uh, for Macy's, beautiful young lady who um accused of some things. Um and what about um was it Grand Theft Auto Rockstar? Grand Theft Auto. What happened? Rockstar. What was that about? Was uh, that Rockstar Games? Yeah it was Rockstar Games. Uh what's the dudes? Game over record what what's Jonathan Schechter's label? He had a label, a record company where he was putting out stuff and it was Illicoin, Black Rob, and my 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 brethren, God bless Sean P. It was a Rest song. It was a song. And this was my thinking. There was a video game. And I'm watching this video game. And I'm like, yo, it's a video game. But this shit is really popping because it has hip-hop culture all in it. It's a rap song. Yo, how can they just, without permission and copyright ownership, how can they put this song on there and not pay you guys? And like most rappers, some want to be famous. Some don't want no problems because they made a relationship deal backdoor, but then they go get the attorney and so the attorney kind of handcuffed. And I'm just like, hold on, wait a second. Illicoin, who a lot of people may remember or not, he was like, yo, fuck that. I ain't give them permission. Mm. And we sued. Um, and I thought that was a big case in the sense that I saw the future of this gaming at the time. I'm like, yo, this shit is going to blow up. All they got to do is make this video experience pop it, lit. And the, and the music and the hip hop was a was a way and a venue to do that. Sure. And How did you win that case? It was settled. Okay. It's settled. Now, also, you know, it, it's funny because I I mean, you you correct me if I'm wrong, but um, did you represent writers that's about power, like so, something about? Is uh, there's something there's a current litigation. I can't really talk about that. Okay. That's actually going on right now. Um, yes, we're we're suing um, the the backers of power and the creators of power. That's going on, right? That's literally... So you, you're representing some writers? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, we won't get into that. Well, uh, they say what good artists create 
great artists still. Yeah, you know, I don't. So all these I cross examine. I don't know. What's 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 this uh, night of the night of HBA series? Is, John, is it true that there's an actor that used you for inspiration? John Totoro did. John is a, is a good friend of mine. Um, Mike Daly is a good friend of mine. Anyone who knows old school journalists, New York Daily News, Mike Daly um, had told John, "If you're doing anything about lawyers, you need to go see Ken." John Totoro called me and just was hanging out with me, coming to court, coming to the office, sitting down, having talks, go to the Knicks game, go to what's the steakhouse? Uh, As, on the, Ruth Chris? SDK? No, the one, the one, no, the one at the Garden. Like, oh, right uh, when you you could go into the game from the steakhouse. God, thirty four. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah I know you. Too. I just don't um, know the name. But John, me and John had these long in depth conversations and about trial work and. um and uh, he he uh, he said I was in inspiration for that. Jamie Hector just did too. Um, he's doing a movie about Biggie and Pac, I think. And and the like lawyer. that feud. I don't know if it's a feud. It's something where he's playing a lawyer, and he just came and hung out with me at Fordham Law School and talked about it. Yo, I tell you, man, you you have an amazing career. I swear to God, I didn't even know so much of this fucking shit. <laughs> what what's this? Um, did you invest into a creative firm? Um, yes, called the. Uh, Pixod? Pixod is my two brothers, Mally Mickens and Philip Shung, Moy Tuck Shung. Uh, he's a black Guyanese, Chinese guy. Um, all the ladies like him. He's married, though. But Well, you know, he look like uh, he's, you know, Jamar Moore. He, he like Ty Mac from uh, the, 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 what is it? Last show, uh, the, what's Bruce Leroy. <laughs> oh, okay. He like Ty so Mac. Nice. But yeah, they, it's a creative company where... They do everything. So what is it was a design firm? It's a design firm. Yeah, so so from what I'm told, and you mm-hmm. again, you know, I'll use this word, you correct me if I'm wrong, but they they worked with American Express, Adidas, Destiny's Child, all that stuff. Michael Jackson. Yeah, all that stuff. Missy Elliott. How'd you get involved Adidas. in that? Um I've always been creative. Like I don't think if I if I wouldn't have become a, uh, an attorney, I, I would have done some sort of, I think, um acting or writing film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. behind the scenes maybe. And what happened was they they like my writing skills, so they would have me write treatments and um, for for uh, marketing campaigns and and ideas and creative ideas. So that's how I got involved with that. If you wasn't a lawyer, do you think that's something you would have tapped into? I think if I would have managed to stay out of trouble, yes, it, it was. Some, no, I'm serious. That was that was something I definitely was into, and it, it helps create a balance because trial work is really really taxing on your on your mind, body, and soul. Right, it's, it's very difficult. How do you keep from getting so, like, emotionally or, like, you know, like, attached to, like, these cases and these people? You, how do you have a better gotta, life? You got to work at it. And um, for me, I try to reflect as much as I can. I definitely stay in the gym. I read. You know, you know sometimes people get moments of silence in their life and it's uncomfortable for them. I appreciate the moments of silence. Me too. Like, I'm cool. You need it. that. You know, you know, you need that. It's funny, too, because I was telling uh, one of my friends the other day that, even vices, having a vice. You know, as you grow older, I feel like I lost a lot of my vices. Yeah, and now too. I'm trying to gain one or two back. <laughs> but I'm trying to be smart about it. Yeah, you know? but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, though, Pete, you can't, I know you can't practice law at a high level with a lot of vices. Mm. Because what will happen is you'll be the guy having a stroke or a heart attack while yeah. you're going over your work. That's why prepared. so many lawyers are fucking yeah, snorting that fucking cocaine. Yeah, a lot of them are. Listen, we got a couple questions as we wind down yeah, this let's uh, do it. episode, man. Um, in the system, mm-hmm. laws being changed. How hard is that for laws to be changed? It's very difficult because it's a, uh, um, you know, it's policy behind a lot of things, and 
the judiciary and the legislative branch and corporations is so many different um, elements to get things changed that um, it, it's hard. It's very hard. It's very difficult. And it, it takes a marketing campaign. It takes the right lobbyists. Does it take Does it take the people involved for that shit to happen to their kids? And I say sometimes, that. Sometimes, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, I'll give Look you at the heroin epidemic. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And that's got to be touching. I've always said for the, all those rich kids. For the criminal justice system to get better, I always said that uh, young white kids would have to start getting locked up. Yeah. For them to start oh, looking at it. Always going to happen more and more because let me tell you something. These pills. Nah, there's a problem. And, and, and this heroin. Nah, it's a problem. Especially, I'm just saying, in Staten Island, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm talking about, it's all over. I know. You know why, too? Because, we, and we had uh, Leo Brancato on, the kid who was collagen oh, a yeah, couple yeah, of episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was speaking about how. He's out. Ha- yeah, he's out. Right. He was speaking how heroin has that stigma to it. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the H, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, like, you know, like crack to like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, but what he was explaining is, and, and, and as I'm sure you heard, you know, um, in, in, in this world that we're living in now, people fuck with pills, it becomes so expensive. Yes. So they move on to heroin. Yep. Quickly, and it's all of a sudden they're like they don't look at it like it's that. No, nah, they, you know I mean? they don't. And and I'm gonna tell you, I seen this ten years ago coming. I had a client, beautiful young white girl who was dancing from upstate, came down here, was dancing, went home, went to the hotel in Times Square area to play with two white guys who came from Cali. Mm-hmm. Had some dope. She having fun. Wake up. One of the white dudes is overdose, dead. Um, And they was doing it, you know, that's when I was realizing it wasn't the shooting. It was sniffing. Um, You might shoot yourself in between your fingers, you know, somewhere where indiscreet, where it doesn't look, can't can't see it. And I saw it. I was like, yeah, this is wild. Like, you know, and 10 years later, now you got an epidemic. You know, I say I say that, too, about parents, because, you know, it's funny. I'll never forget. Even when I was when I was younger, you know, and. uh, you know, I remember just being a knucklehead and being out there. My family wanted to try to get me help. Mm-hmm. Just in general, you know, just in general, like put me in programs, mm-hmm. put me in group homes, put me, all that shit. But the point I'm making is, I remember like, you know, whatever drugs I was doing, I stopped. And, and, and I stayed do- getting in trouble, but I had a, a, a cousin and, and he was like, a, really like, looked upon as like, a, 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 I don't know, like his parents like put him on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And they looked down at me. For being a, a person who got in trouble a lot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I was some type of fuck up, mm-hmm. and when the, and this kid got hooked on coke, and all of a sudden they're like, "How did how did you how do you how do you you know go through these programs?" And we want to get him in there, and and now all of a sudden they want to be you know mm-hmm. best friends of mine, and I feel like you know even speaking to people in programs that I was with, you know back in the day, group homes and this, there was kids in there that their uh, father was judges, yep. lawyers. Yep. And 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 they, they they, it hit them like a ton of bricks because they that shit is always keep quiet. Yes, yes. You know what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you about some of these programs. Some of those programs are really just a platform for you to get deep into your your shit. Yeah. You know? And you wrote an article. You know, you wrote an article yeah. um, on the Atlanta Black Star, right? Yeah, I, about, I write for them. I, I owe them three more articles. I, I wrote two for them. Okay, you know, tell them to come with the bag, Atlanta Black Star. You know? <laughs> now I'm playing around, but 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 what I'm saying is is is. The reason why I say that it comes into a great question, just about private prisons. And, you know, is do you believe that 
there is, you know, it's a business? Yeah, I absolutely believe it's a business. I just went to a federal prison. I'm not going to say the name of it, but I just went to it. And all of the guards looked like my mom's. They were north of 60, chilling. Imagine your grandma and your mom, a CO somewhere. They're private prison. They're the CO. And it's different. And and absolutely, it's a business. And I think um, you have to be careful with private prisons because the liability factor is different now. You know, they're, they're a business. Mm. So they handle things differently. Um, who they hire, how they hire, how they run the prison, medical issues. It's not like the state does any that much, you know, better. But you know what their bottom line is. You know, a lot, you know, you, you got to look at. Um, what happened in the last 15 to 20 years. You know, you have the private prison industry. You had these mercenary groups like Blackwater and all these other companies capitalizing off of, of tragedy in America. And, mm. we don't, and we, we're fine with it because, you know, we, we think it's beneficial, but it's not. Historically, you think it was designed like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I don't think there's no mistakes in, in I know, American. I know I hear a lot of no. people talk about how it was like the second coming of uh, slavery. I think it is in its context and it's, it's rooted in these very ignorant, um, critical thinking paradigms that are well thought out and that no one ever, um, no no one calls them to, to the carpet. You know, I see like Twitter. We, we always talk about social media, and it just comes back to it's. It's funny how everything comes back to social media. But I seen something where it showed this white guy, um, and I'm not trying to make it a white and black mm-hmm. thing, but it's just general of what it shows. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of of of, of the the disconnect. Mm-hmm. So, and it showed this white guy um, in a suit. I think he was sitting in front of a Jaguar, and it was like former you know fraud bank guy now is a you know past his like you know now he's doing so well and he has his own businesses and and somebody wrote meanwhile uh the black dude is still in prison yeah. for 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 a bag of weed yeah and you look at the marijuana business now where there's a lot of talk how you know you look at the majority of the guys in the marijuana business it's not black guys mm. you know the they're, they're, they're kind of been, you know the problem with black guys and nobody want to talk about it is we've been we've been blackballed out of all the areas where money is made. Mm-hmm. My OG told me once, you want to see where all the money is? Go follow where the white guys at. You see all <laughs> those white guys working on that construction site? They get money. But we've been black. Look, we've been blackballed out of Wall Street. You know, we're sitting down in the Wall Street area, but you go around here in the daytime. You know, this is very few. Sure. Um, we've been blacked out, balled out of the legal industry. You know, when you go to these top white shoe firms that really keep the status quo and keep our neighborhoods screwed up. There's not many people who look like me. Um, you look in the academic world. You look in fashion. Like, we're every, you know, everywhere you go where money is being made. Even hip-hop, they're starting hip-hop. to push us out. Oh, starting? Shit, you know. It's been like that for a long Still time. Like you know, you, you've been, you were a prosecutor, right? Yeah. You were assistant. Uh, DA in Brooklyn. DA in Brooklyn. Uh, for how many years? Four and a half, five. Put that together with your lawyer career. How long were you a lawyer? Um, 20. Okay. This year, 20 years. Have you dealt with or felt racism oh, as a lawyer? Yeah. Hell yeah. I wrote an article about it. Um, shit. <laughs> Yo, I used to go to court, Pete, and look, my pops, I told you, worked in 160 Varick, and suits fall off the truck in that area. My pop was a big uh, OTB gambler okay, okay. guy, you know. Yeah. And I had nice ass, I always had nice ass suits, polo suits and shit. I come to court, you know, 24, 25 years old, just popping out of law school. I walk in the well, 
black and white and Hispanic. It's like, hey, hey, where you going? No defendants in the well area. Um, you know, I had judges mistake me for a defendant. And I'm not somebody who's in the courtroom <laughs> showing, you know, uh, any signs of why they should think that, you yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. And um, as as I get older, you know, and the things that I've done and been a part of, it's a different kind of thing that I pay attention now um, at, at this point in my career. But early on, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we speak about, you know, you deal with or or, or involved in seeing the police, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, do you think that any of them really care about and I don't want to overall mm-hmm, put mm-hmm. put them as one person because there are some good cops as bad cops. Yep. It's good every, good and bad everything. Absolutely. But the point I'm trying to make is being that they feel like they're being attacked, do you think that they're that, that they're ever trying to, you know, get in touch with the community like they should because they probably feel up they're they're against defense. It's very difficult because they are a part of an agenda. And that agenda is black and Hispanic guys are a problem. Mm. Um, and they are under a microscope. So it's really hard for them to break that American narrative that we are the beasts and that we should be monitored. Um, and Like stop and frisk. Yeah. Window, you know, the, the win- broken windows, you know, you name it. Like it's very difficult for them to step away from that. And a perfect example of that, if you imagine if, if, if officers went to Williamsburg Right now, uh, Alphabet City, Lower East Side, and just started stopping random white guys and tossing them. You think they'll find some pills? Mm, you think they'll find a gun every now and then? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Knife. Absolutely. But they're not going to do that because that narrative is not the American criminal justice narrative. And they, they may not want to accept that, but it's the truth. And, you know, I've I've dealt with, I know some cool cops, you know, but the unfortunately, they all told, a, most of them told the line. And even the ones who know what time it is, you know, what they're going to do, risk taking care of their kid, paying their mortgage. No, they're going to follow that blue wall. Yeah. And I tell you, that's the biggest gang yeah, of it them is. all. We that's need neighborhood policing. Yeah, yeah. If we ne- because the problem how, how cops look at our community is, they look at it as like barren land. It's like escape from New York. There's nobody here who's going to hold me accountable. I could do whatever I want. Now, you go to Bay Ridge and you start knocking people in the head of Bensonhurst, you start knocking people in the head. Howard Beach, you start knocking people in the head. Yo, before that cop could take his belt off and, and get comfortable, somebody's going to be on his ass. Sure, sure. And we don't we don't have that in our community. You know, and especially over there, too, it's more indictments. You know, yes. you find, like, a lot of those cases get built, built for a long yeah, time. Yeah, You know? Absolutely. Five o'clock in the morning when you fucking, th- you know, sleeping and thinking everything's okay. No, nah, they, they out there. Th- them indictments come. You know, as we wind this down... Um, you know, you dealt with um, clients that uh, had death penalties, I believe. Yes, or like yes. Have they ever received? Death um, no one. Um, I've I've dealt because I'm on the federal panel. I've dealt with people who have capital eligible, and fortunately, um, the most is the farthest gotten is uh, the Department of Justice has uh, deauthorized the the, the death penalty mm. count. Do you so do you believe happened. in the death penalty? Absolutely not. I mm. believe it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a horrible sign for a civilized society. I think that it's too arbitrary. I think that uh, when you have poor people and minorities who mostly get it, it's a problem. The death penalty, a small fact that a lot of people don't know, is that 
is is kind of control about who the victim is. Mm. You want to get the death penalty? Kill a, a white woman. Mm. You're gonna you're gonna be up. That's for where it. they were sending Central Park Five. Yeah, they were well, they Trump, were trying. Trump was yeah. put out an ad on it. You know, they were trying. You know, yeah. but but you know, I mean, what do you say to somebody who is um, you know raped ten girls and killed you know? Listen, five, six, six of them. You know, listen. They, listen yeah. I'm a human being. I have a daughter. I love, I love humanity. Um, I think women are beautiful. Um, I think somebody who gets that, they're gonna get what they deserve. They ain't like they walking free. And you know, look, you know, whatever they get, they get. You know, ultimately, whatever that person gets, they get. However, when you do the study of those people who do crimes like that, nine times out of ten, they've been raped themselves. Mm. They're only doing the, this what they've been been through. That's powerful. That's powerful. So. What, what what are you on um, Twitter and Instagram? Oh, um, KJ. K, uh, Instagram. I think I'm KJM PLLC, mm-hmm. and I think uh, Twitter. I'm ESQ Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I think. You know. mm-hmm. Internet. Make sure you get them. Listen. First of all, <laughs> this has been a long time in the making. It is. Uh, just I'm just to really good. just to really just understand the law. You know, from your from from your perspective, and just your journey of everything you've been through. You know, I think uh, it's important for people to, you know, understand. You know, like you, you, I always felt like you teach me things. You know, and things. And it's that vice I, versa, bro. Yeah, most definitely. And and and, but I appreciate it because it's it's. You know, I think as a person who is is open minded, it's I still need to learn every day. Me too. You know, bro. and 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 learn in in the fact of you know just especially dealing with a world that is still so racist. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, I think that when you break, you know, the cycles of stuff, it's important to stay, still stay woke. Yeah. You know? and, and you know what we don't realize? Yo, we on a fucking rock floating through space on an axis. Mm. Don't nobody know shit. Mm. But I, you know when shit is fucked up. So now if we get to the point as humans where we can't communicate and we can't put our heads together to make this better and change the narrative. Yeah, we might as well blow this shit up. Yeah. And we're slowly doing that in yeah. certain yeah. regards. You know, you also um, became the lawyer for Tagstone. Yes. You know, um, yes. how's he doing? Um, a lot of people ask me that. On a, I'm talking on a regular basis. I may be driving. I may be on a train. And uh, people, I think people really, I think he touched people in a, yeah. in a, in a very... Uh, sincere place and all I can say is uh, Daryl Campbell is probably one of the most stand up people that I've had to represent Mm. and it's um, you know I separate the human side of it because when I see someone who can be a little brother to me have so much promise have to deal with this kind of a situation is, is very it's very bothersome but also I respect him as a human being, and I think he has an incredibly strong will and presence. And I think no matter what happens in that young man's life, he's going to be okay, mm, mm. no matter what it is. Um, well, listen, you know, it's it's, it's crazy because I used to call him my fellow felon, <laughs> and now that shit don't even sound funny to <laughs> no, me. Like I when I say, saying. you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't want to even say that anymore. No. You know what I mean? But but but, you know, he's I'm, doing as best as you can can come up with, and he's a really bright guy. And I think um, no matter how this scenario turns out, I think he's going to be a better uh, person. And I think he can still be a solid dude. Mm, mm. 
Oh, we send our prayers up as always to uh, tax, you know. Mm-hmm. And listen, Ken, I appreciate you. Thank uh, you. Man. You know, this has been great, man. Like you said, therapeutic. Yes, but I can check, get some sleep tonight. Check for Kenneth this. Montgomery, man, and and and. Uh, but make sure you got the bag if you come to <laughs> Kenneth Montgomery. Don't be coming <laughs> short. Yo, nah, he might oh, work man. within the budget. Or listen, listen, I'll say this. Somebody look, 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 look. My 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 old timers told me you can't get so good that you your community can't use your services anymore so i'm not a monster but you're not gonna come to me with some jelly beans exactly listen the price went up okay the price went up into this make sure you subscribe to us on itunes make sure you comment you know follow us on soundcloud keep on uh you know leaving them comments and uh listen we'll see you next episode kenna montgomery peace thank you cheer